minimalists. <laughs> All right, Patreon, welcome to live stream number 17. You send in your questions. What's up, y'all? You upvoted your questions, and we're going to answer your questions now. Answer the most popular questions. The first one is from Linda Howell. Linda says, what keeps so many people from embracing the Native American belief that the measure of a person's wealth is how much he gives to others, not how many expensive possessions he has. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know that this is necessarily a Native American belief exclusively. I think it's a cultural belief, and some Native American cultures believe this. I mean, I don't know that, that all Native Americans believe this, but also I, don't, uh, I, I think what the thing that prohibits us as a culture is that it's not culturally encouraged. And I right. think human biology primate biology in particular uh, encourage us to hoard and, yeah. and, and in fact so there is a there there are parts of our brain when you look at studies of especially of chimpanzees <laughs> uh, bonobos seem to be a bit of the exception just because they have sex with everybody and that's all that keeps everyone happy i suppose um but chimpanzees the, when you give them a banana um, they'll eat the banana. You give them enough bananas to share, they will share the bananas with their small tribe. If you give them a horde, a literal horde of bananas, more bananas than they or their, their tribe can eat, they will defend it to the death. Yeah. And uh, I think we quite often do that. There's something in our, in, in our biochemistry that encourages hoarding because we live in a, a scarce world. There are scarce resources uh, until very recently, where, where now we have an overabundance of resources. And so I think the way that we can do it is maybe our culture is not going to encourage it. In fact, our advertising culture does the opposite. Yeah, dude, I was going to say, like, every corner you turn in our society, and it's not even America. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's you turn on the TV, you go to Facebook, you drive down the street. There is There is something encouraging you to buy right to hoard yeah to get yeah I, I i totally agree i'm sorry if i cut you off there no, when, you're, if you're Jordan, in the you can get thought. like close-ups if you want like you, you do. <laughs> i don't need you to operate as a tripod on this <laughs> you're the most expensive tripod ever <laughs> the tripod that charges by the hour yeah um so yeah i mean just to your point though josh like yeah we live in a world that is uh we are in, we are encouraged to hoard yeah they're playing on that uh, on, on on that impulse on that feeling that all of us have to hoard that pri that primitive instinct that we have they're preying on that yeah so what's the antidote the antidote isn't to wait for our culture to encourage you to give it's to simply give yeah. for you to adopt the ethos yourself and then what will happen quite often when i see people like will mccaskill who um, has capped his salary i believe at like twenty thousand pounds a year plus he adjusts for inflation mm -hmm. um and when you see someone like that it doesn't mean you have to live exactly like him but he encourages you to give more and mm. uh, through uh, effective altruism and, and giving to places like givewell.org or against malaria foundation or what we're doing with the not-for-profit grocery store in dayton ohio where you can literally contribute a dollar and buy a, a a brick so all you have to do is contribute one dollar we're going to build a non-profit grocery store if we get enough people to donate a dollar so you can do that the minimalists.com slash dayton you can give a little bit you can show other people that you're giving it's the right kind of virtue signaling by the way mm -hmm. uh, virtue signaling isn't all bad ryan and i are giving twenty five thousand dollars of our own money to this grocery store yeah. not because i want to uh, sit up here and say look at me look how wonderful i am but to encourage you to give what you can give as well 
Yeah, just trying to be an example. Our next question's from Tom. Yeah. Tom. I, I, was, I was just going to just add one more thing. The, the, just the more you give, the easier it becomes and the more that you get from it. Sorry, Tom's question. Married with two kids, eight and six. We are selling our house to completely pay off all of our debt and become more flexible in life. The nice. kids are excited about the prospect of moving into an apartment, but this goes against everything my wife and I have been taught to do. Our kids are completely fine and excited. They're fine. We are concerned that they are not. Mm. Uh, hmm. Should they be? Was this your experience with Ella? Any tips or behaviors you experienced from moving? Yeah, I remember when we didn't have a, a couch and a, we didn't have a dining room table when we first moved. Yeah. And Ella didn't notice at all. I didn't mention it. It didn't say, like, where are we going to eat? Like, we would eat on the floor until the uh, table arrived, or we eat at the calendar. Yeah, picnic style, man. Yeah. yeah. And and, and, uh, and even now, like, she doesn't care. She she would love, like, just having a blanket and snuggling up on, on the living room floor. Like, kids are ambivalent to these types of things. Yeah. What matters uh, is not the physical environment so much as the stability of the environment you're creating. And you can do that in an apartment building. You can do that in a house. You can do that. Remember the family we, we hung out with in Australia, Bex's friend. Yeah. Um, and they had six kids yep. and uh, husband Traveling and wife around in a camper for how long? Nine months. Yeah. And so traveling around for nine months together with a family of six, but they created a stable environment for their kids. Uh, And that's really what you're trying to do here. It doesn't matter if you have an apartment or where you're living, as long as you're creating that stability for them to thrive. Not so stable that they're they're perpetually comfortable. You don't want to nerf the world. That's not stability. Mm. Stability is providing the foundation upon which they can grow. Yeah. Tom, uh, congratulations, dude. First off, that is awesome with you and your family doing that. That is a huge step. And uh, Josh and I applaud you. Um, the the thing that stands out to me is he says, they're fine. We're concerned they're not. Um, if they are telling you that they're fine right now, then take their word for it. Kids, especially kids, like they're going to tell you when they're unhappy. They're going to let you know when they need something. So uh, going back to the example that Josh has shared with that family, I remember talking to the oldest girl in that family and I said, so how has the trip been? And she was like, oh, it's been so great and it's been awesome and we've been able to travel and uh, you know, it's, it's a little cramped in the camper, but, but you know, it, it's been totally worth it. And she was kind of telling me all these experiences and I said, well, how do you feel about, because they were leaving the camper behind, they were moving into a bigger place. I said, how do you feel about moving to a bigger place? She's just like, oh, I can't wait. She's like, it's going to be so nice to not be on top of each other. And and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because, Tom, yes, maybe your kids right now, they're fine. And maybe the situation that you're you're putting them into, they're going to say, you know what? There isn't a dining room table. Mom and dad, we would like to have a dining room table. That's great, Tom. Address those concerns as they come up. As long as you are supporting your kids and you're going out of your way to support them, they're never going to hold anything against you as long as you can show them that you are giving them a, a, a life, uh, a meaningful life. So right now, Tom, they say they're fine. Awesome. Then keep supporting them in this in this fine attitude that they have. And then when they need something, uh, as as time continues, because they're six and eight, certainly they're going to have more needs. Then support them when those needs come up. But right now, you're doing great. Keep up the great work. And what's appropriate right now will change, and, and different things become appropriate. And guess what? Tom has now found a new appropriate for their family. What is more appropriate? Five years from now, something else might be appropriate. So always be willing to adjust. Dominique asks, I work with people who are spread or who are separated 
separating and divorcing, but as someone, so she, she works with people who are separating and divorcing, but someone who has never been married, it's hard, she's someone who's never been married. It's hard for me to know what they're really going through. So it's hard to empathize, right? Yeah, it's like when people ask me advice on kids. It's like, <laughs> I don't have kids, but I've got some great advice for you. <laughs> uh, what was the hardest part of your divorces and what is something you wish the people working with you would have known or understood, Ryan? Mm. You know, I dude, because drugs and alcohol have just been something I have like turned to when I was uh, younger before, uh, I don't know, times of despair, I uh-huh. guess. Um, that is how I handled my divorce. Mm. A lot of drugs and alcohol. That is not what I'm recommending. That was a terrible, uh, terrible approach. What I wish I would have done is I wish I would have uh, sought out um, some type of therapist or something to kind of help talk me through this range of emotion, these range of emotions that I was going through. But what I'll say, man, the biggest piece of advice I got when I was uh, uh, just freshly divorced is a friend of the family told me, hey, Ryan, and they had been divorced. I said, hey, Ryan, you know, I just want to let you know, man, um, when I when I got divorced, it was very, very hard on me. And there were a lot of emotions that I was experiencing. He said that the one thing I wish I would have known is that in one year's time, I would not feel my days affected by the divorce. And he's like, I just want to let you know. He's like, my wife and I were married for, I forget how many years it was. And he goes, it was, it took me a year before I finally was able to get up in the morning and and go throughout my day without the the divorce affecting how my day went. And he said that. And at the time I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Dude, it was about a year later. Uh-huh. And I remember like, I just, there was one specific morning. I don't, I don't think it was a year to the day, but, but there was one specific morning that I got up and I just remember caring about going on about through my day and didn't really have that pool, that depressive pool, uh, that I was experiencing up until that point. And I realized like, Oh wow, it's been about a year since I got divorced. So uh, I, I think that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I would give anyone who's going through that 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 uh, that that crazy breakup is it takes time to heal. It takes about a year. Otherwise, um, you're just repressing it. Yes, right? you, absolutely. You, you're sort of hiding. You can pretend that everything is all hunky dory, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh well, we've signed the paperwork, and now all of a sudden I am satisfied. Well, that's. That's not really true, and, and it's going to come up later, and it's going to come, and it's going to manifest in a much bigger way. Sometimes you have to deal for, with it for a week, a month, a year, and, and the emotions taper off, and you go through all those stages of grief. Yeah. And it's important to experience those, not to wallow in them, not to wallow in depression forever, but also recognize that it's there. Recognize that you're traveling through the valley, but you have to get through that valley. Uh, what I will tell Dominique is when she asks, what is the hardest part of your divorce? For me, you and I, Ryan, we were driving down the street recently, and we were talking about this. Uh, um, I realized I didn't want to be married in the first place. Mm. In fact, I married the person I married, who's a great woman, because I didn't want to upset her right. by not getting married. Mm. That's the wrong reason to be married in yeah. the first place. And then I dragged it out. You know, we were together for eight years. I dragged it out for way too long. That wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for her. It wasn't good for us. And so we were thriving in that relationship. We were surviving. And, and so... Getting out of it sooner, not even getting out of it sooner, but questioning it sooner. Questioning it before it happened would have been the most ideal, 
But then, yes, everything. Yeah, okay, we're two years into the marriage. We're already two years in. It's a sunk cost. I have to look at it that way because I, that's how I look at my relationship now with Rebecca. Is like, okay, yeah, we're great. We're three, four years into this thing, and that's wonderful. I can appreciate the time we had. I can be thankful. I can be joyous about it. But it doesn't mean that the past equals the future. We have to continue to make sure this is still working. Is this still working for us? And if not, you have to be willing to make some changes or ultimately you have to be willing to let go. Our next question is from Melissa McGuire. Melissa says, hey, Josh and Ryan, I was wondering how you all felt about minimalism and codependency. I congratulated myself with knowing what, with knowing what someone needed before they did and neglecting myself. Hmm, I'm not really sure what that means, Ryan. Me either. Uh, I congratulated myself with knowing what someone needed. Maybe what she's saying is is that she realized like, oh, wow, like I understand this person's needs and I'm going to help them. But then she's doing that uh, uh, to do that. She's neglecting herself. Like maybe she's putting someone else's needs first before her own. Yeah, that's, that, that to me is that's building a beautiful house on a foundation of quicksand. Yeah. It'll be beautiful for a temporary period of time, but it is going to collapse. The foundation is you and your own self care and I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to our self-care episode that we did with Randy Kay, our good friend Randy from Fargo and also we did a postscript episode about self-care as well and we have some self-care videos on our YouTube channel. I would encourage you to check those out as well. What is the minimalism and code? What do you think that means? The minimalism and codependency? I'm not sure. Sometimes people want to just place minimalism next to some other modifier here Uh and so codependency just means that you know we're being dependent or someone else is being dependent on us, depending mm. on what your perspective is. It sounds like in her situation, she had someone who was dependent on her and she was sacrificing mm, her, her own well-being. Yeah. And so your well-being has to come first. Self-care is not selfish. Amen. Uh, operating in your own self-interest is what self-care is. It's building that foundation, taking care of yourself so you can be the best version of yourself for others. Uh, Tugba asks... I am in. I am in intersect. What is this word, right? I got it, man. <laughs> I am in an intersection to choose from an option to live in two different countries as a single person without any anchors or debt. My first option, first country, is first world is a first world European country with the privileges that it comes with but without any support group, uh, i.e. their family or friends. Uh, the second option is a third world country without any proper infrastructure, human rights, democracy, etc., but with the support group like family and friends. So which criteria should I consider in order to make this important life decision? Aha. Uh-huh. Thank you for... Uh intersection yeah the <laughs> i'm not crazy that's not how you spell intersection no right? okay no, it's not. good good i'm like well wow, that is a good word what does that mean um but so here's the thing you don't want to live somewhere without any human rights if, if you're living somewhere without any human you can live somewhere without infrastructure you can live somewhere without democracy theoretically um uh, what is the alternative there um but um yeah, you don't want to live somewhere without any human rights. So I hope you don't mean that literally in, in this question. If, if you're considering moving somewhere without any human rights, mm-hmm. probably want to consider else, living I mean, elsewhere. The, I mean, so, like, where's the worst country in the world to live where there are no human rights? If you're a woman, uh, maybe Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan. Okay. I, was Afghanistan. Thinking, I was thinking North Korea. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, Even better. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about someone who lives in North Korea 
who has a chance to get out. And yes, their family and friends are there. So they have this this community of people, but they live in North Korea. Right. So uh, what I would say is like, you don't want to forsake your friends and family. Like you want to be there for them as much as possible. But if your friends and family are encouraging you to live in a different country, to, to live a, uh, for a better life for yourself, which honestly, friends and family who love you, support you, want you to be happy, they're going to encourage you uh, to go above and beyond. They're not going to hold you back just because they can't go with you. Um, so yes, I would say, uh, uh, you know, take their support and do something with that. If you move to a country and you don't have family there, you don't have any friends, you can very easily find some friends. You could find communities to help support you. So really my answer is this, move to the place that is going to help you thrive the most, mm-hmm. regardless of where your family lives, you need to be somewhere where you're going to thrive the most. And no matter where you live, you're going to be able to find a community to support you. There are uh, plenty of churches out there if you're religious. There are plenty of um, paleo groups out there if you're really into diet and you're into paleo. I mean, I'm just throwing random stuff out here because just think about what you're into and go to, uh, you can go to meetup.com and search that topic and find groups of people who are meeting about that. Uh, there are plenty of ways to go out and find supportive people, to find a supportive community. It is much more difficult, in my opinion, to uh, to to find that community if you're in a place that is, um, is, is taking away your human rights. Talk about the only thing I'll add to that is... Uh, we also have to reconsider what privilege means. I mean, we, we have a particular definition. And you, you talk about it here with uh, moving to a first world European country with the privileges that it comes with. But there are also a lot of privileges in the developing world that you'll have. And you mentioned one of those here of having a community or a support group. What an amazing privilege that is. Yeah. And so you give up one privilege for potentially another privilege and vice versa. And so think about w- w- when you're looking at your pros and cons, there will be different privileges or different advantages, different pros to making the decision that you're going to make that will be the best environment for which you can thrive in. Talk about thank you so much for your question. Yes. Our, our next question is from Kathy Peterman. Kathy says, do you have a, an end of the year process you go through either as individuals or the two of you for your business? A way to acknowledge the things wrapping up in your personal slash business life to uh, begin creating directions for the year ahead. Sort of. Um, in my personal life, I, I, I go through my goals with, I'm sorry, my values, not my goals. Um, I don't go through goals at all. Um, uh, I go through my values with Bex, and we just sort of look at our values list. We tend to look at it in the middle of the year as well. Just make sure that like, hey, is what I'm doing in line with my values? Now, Ryan and I, uh, less than a month ago, we, we sat down, and or about a month ago, I guess, we sat down and we had sort of end of the year, like looking toward, and she used a great word here. She used the word direction. Yeah. It wasn't like, what are our goals for the next year? Mm-hmm. What are our revenue metrics and blah, 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 blah. That can be really useful, especially if you're running a large corporation. You have to determine these certain things sure. because people's livelihoods depend on it. For us, it's like, hey, what is the one thing we want to create this year? And for us, we tend to work on one major project a year. It doesn't always work out perfectly in the calendar year, but quite often we're working on one major project at a time and everything else we do, whether it's the blog or the podcast or YouTube, uh, 
it serves that major project that we're working on. And so we have to say no to everything else so we can say yes to the things that serve that major creative project for us. Yeah, man, I totally agree. Although I will also say that time is just a flat circle, dude. And I'm, <laughs> I'm striving every single day to live the best, most meaningful life I can. So, I mean, Mariah and I on a regular basis are looking at what we've done, where we want to go uh, in, in, in different, you know, not goals, but... Um, I mean, I guess they are goals. Like there are, you know, different travels we want to do. There are places we want to live. There are things we want to explore. And we're always looking at those things. So it's, you don't have to wait till the end of the year to do that. You can do that anytime. And if you're looking uh, for your values, if you want a one page quick worksheet to get all your values together, especially important with your significant other or your business partner, uh, head on over to my wife's website. It's minimalwellness.com slash values. And you can find uh, the worksheet that she put together that we use to assess our own values finally we have a question from madison and we have six minutes left so we'll 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 do our best here to answer your question madison says i'm afraid period that is like a great first line to a question right i'm afraid afraid that if i don't stop giving my values lip service that I'll end up drowning in a sea of redundancy and regret. That's a pretty uh, realistic fear there, Madison. Ooh, yes. And, well, she asks, have you ever been so scared to be uncomfortable that you forsook your values? Mm. How can I resist the fear of living in accordance to my values when faced with the arduous task of walking away from someone I love Ooh, so it sounds like she's got a toxic relationship mm-hmm. and it's or comfortable maybe, right maybe, now maybe just maybe it's not toxic maybe it just doesn't align with her values yeah like my, my marriage for example it's even not- worse really if you think about it because yeah. a toxic relationship you can look at and you can say this is toxic yeah i, I have an out i have an off ramp gotta get rid of this but yeah if you got a relationship that eh, it's going all right it's a six. Yeah. That's what she's talking about. Like, yeah. I'm afraid of being uncomfortable. Mm. And I think that's what happens. Like, we have this relationship that's like, it's a six out of 10. Like, it's not bad. It's not outstanding. Yeah. But we're, I'm afraid that if I leave this person, it's, my relationships are going to be a two now. Yeah. And that's pain. Or, you know, even worse, they might be a negative two. Because then I I have to start dealing with the actual toxic people in my life. Yeah. And, and so there's going to be a deeper valley before how, you get out of it. How do we make Madison afraid of not ending this relationship oh what what a great question so so you can simply envision what it's going to look like a year from now to so so you're at this bifurcation point right and if you're watching the actual live stream video here um if not i'm just holding my hands out like a y he's he's bifurcating his hands right now yes um And, and so you t- sort of take the prayer hands and you realize okay now there are two paths right and i'm going down path one, that's staying on the same relationship. It's going to keep being a six, although it's not really. You're going to experience more discontent. It's going to be a five and a four. And eventually you'll reach a breaking point probably, right? Mm-hmm. Unless there's a way to improve this path, which there could be. Or if you're walking away, it's a different path. What does that look like? Well, it looks like some rough terrain up front because it looks like a little bit unknown. I don't have GPS for this mm-hmm. path. But if you envision both paths you'll realize that both have pros and cons for sure. But if you're walking away from something that doesn't align with your values, what you're walking toward is something that does align with your values. You don't want to walk down another path that's like equally not in line with your values because you're going to be in the same predicament a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. But 
now is a better time than a year from now. And we were talking about that earlier with my marriage, Ryan. Like I, I set, I settled into that thing for eight years yeah. into the point where it was no longer comfortable enough for me to make a change. Do and it was a fine relationship. It was, it was a six. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Until it wasn't. And it right. was a five and it was four. And I made myself uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And I made myself embrace the discomfort of the change because that was the place I knew I was going to grow from. I knew it wasn't going to be fun all the time or joyous, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I was going to live a better version of myself if I did make a change. Yeah. You know, Madison, I know right now you're looking at the worst case scenario. Like if you, if you leave uh, this, this person or if you end this relationship, uh, the question is, what is the best case scenario? And you know what? If you end this relationship, you're probably not going to end up with the worst case scenario. You're probably not going to end up with the best case scenario, but you will probably fall somewhere in the middle. And really, that's my way of saying that sometimes we hold on to things so long because we're scared of that worst case scenario. And what I've learned with life is that it will always work out. It will always be okay. I know it's such a platitude and such a trite thing that we grow up hearing, but if your short-term actions are aligning with your long-term values and beliefs, well, then you are truly living a meaningful life. And if you are living a meaningful life, it will always be okay. I promise. Patreon supporters, thank you so much for being a supporter, a subscriber. Thank you for making all of this possible. Podcast Sean's here. We're in this beautiful podcast studio. Jordan No More is behind the camera. And Ryan and I are going to continue adding yeah. value to your lives Thank however you so we much. can. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Don Minimalists. <laughs>